Well, good morning again, everybody. Uh, welcome those at the downtown campus. Uh, we're going to be jumping into the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 17 here. Um, and, and as we do, let me, let me um, just kind of connect if you're new to River Tree or a guest or even just visiting today. Um, there's a way to follow kind of what we're doing through the sermon and a way to kind of stay connected with even sermon discussion questions throughout the week. So we use a, an app called YouVersion, and a lot of people already have that on their phones, and it's one of the ways that people read their Bible kind of on the go. And if you have that YouVersion app, you can go to the Events tab uh, within that app and find River Tree Church at the Cove and downtown campus. And when you click on that live event, uh, you'll see uh, sermon notes, you'll see the scriptures that we're going to be looking at, you'll see uh, added discussion questions when you head into your grow group later today or later into the week. And so it's a great way, even as a family, uh, to pull up those discussion questions and on your way home, uh, husband and wife, to just begin sharing, uh, hey, what did, what did God say to you uh, this morning? What did, what did you hear? And to begin using those questions to even guide some conversations following. We want to make sure that we're not just here's the word, but doers of the word. And so there's a, there's a hope in every Sunday morning that we're hearing God's word, but then we're finding ways to apply it. Like, what does this mean for me and my life this week? How can we pray for one another? How can we support one another? And so this passage really is a, a really special passage as we make our way through Matthew's gospel. Uh, each Sunday, kind of taking the next section of scripture, we're looking at Matthew chapter 17, uh, and we're picking up in verse 14 this morning. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. So as we look at this passage this morning, uh, there's a, a previous passage that helps us create context. So last week, the passage that we looked at um, and the sermon that we talked about was this amazing moment with Jesus and a few of the disciples called the Transfiguration. And it reminds us as we look earlier into Matthew chapter 17 that Jesus goes up on the mountain and this moment of, of, of uh, this reveal this glory, like Jesus' face in this moment of transfiguration began to shine bright like the sun, his clothes turned white. All of a sudden, Jesus on this mountain with Peter, James, and John, Moses was there, Elijah was there. This cloud kind of fell upon the mountain and out of it, God the Father spoke and said, this is my son, listen to him, highlighting the significance of Jesus, God the Son, Peter's all excited, right? I, I, we would be too in the middle of all of this. Peter's like, can we build shelters for everybody? In other words, can, can we just stay here? Can we just make this moment last longer? 
And so out of the transfiguration, like this incredible mountaintop experience of Jesus' glory and Elijah, Moses, like this incredible experience, God speaking in a cloud, we get to the very next section of scripture and it says, our passage says, but they came down, they came down. And so you have this mountaintop experience just prior to this, into this valley. And in Mark 9, which is a parallel passage to this one in Matthew that highlights these very similar, very similar story and account, Mark 9 says that the religious leaders were waiting at the bottom in a religious debate with the crowd and the disciples. Right? There's, there's already this activity happening. You know, the, the disciples haven't been able to cast out this demon, which again brings into view all the, um, the, the credibility issues of Jesus, right? It, it brings out the idea of the illegitimacy again of who, is Jesus really the Messiah? Are, are, the, are the disciples really doing the things of God? And so all those questions surface again. Not only are the religious leaders in the crowd there, but there's a man, Right? Desperate a father, desperate that his son would get help. A, a boy who's having seizures, who's possessed. Like they just, they have this hope that someone's going to do something. They're not interested in the religious debate. They just have a need that they're hoping Jesus or the disciples would meet, but yet they can't seem to get any relief. Nobody's able to help them. And then there's the disciples, right? The, the other nine that were down at the bottom of the mountain, like they thought they got this. Like, Jesus, we got this. Like, you guys go, we'll take care of everything, the ministry. And all of a sudden they don't. And then Jesus himself, can, maybe you hear it, like he's exasperated. He's like, how long? How, how long are we going to do this? How long are we going to have these conversations? How long are we going to be pointing fingers? How long are we going to be in this debate? How long are people not going to believe and not going to be able to see? How, how long? So we go from this mountaintop experience down into this valley, and, and it's a mess. It's a mess. And the mountaintop and the valley, they, they happen fast. Like one follows the other. It reminds me of this moment in our family's life when my oldest daughter had graduated fifth grade. And I didn't realize being kind of first time parent of a graduating fifth graders, that's a big deal. There's a ceremony, it's quite an achievement. This transition from fifth grade into middle school like takes a lot of attention and invitations and like things happening around that. And so she's excited, right? You finish up this chapter of your life in elementary school, you're going to middle school. It's like responsibility, it's freedom. It's all of that like kind of now you feel like I finally arrived, right? Middle school. So she shows up to the first day of middle school and is immediately sent home for a dress code violation. Evidently, her shorts needed to be an inch or two above her knee, and they weren't. And so she gets pulled out of line going into school for the very first day and, and is sent home. Now, the, the problem with shorts with her is she's going to sixth grade. She's already like six feet tall. Like, so like shorts were a challenge for us just in general. But she goes home, gets changed, a bit mortified over the whole experience, shows back up into school late, She's having problem throughout the day getting into her locker. Evidently, something with the combination code is not working. And so all of her books for all of her classes, she carries with her from class to class to class because she can't get her locker open to put anything in it. 
So she's been sent home earlier. She's carrying around her books, finally gets to the end of the day, and she goes to where the bus has been for years to take her home. But when she goes to that location, she goes to the elementary location. The middle school bus pickup is in a different part of the school. When she realizes that, she hurries around the building to see where the middle school bus is departing from, and it's already leaving. It's driving away through the parking lot, which she then decides to chase after it, carrying all of her books. And as she does through the parking lot, it begins to rain. The bus driver sees her, stops the bus before it pulls out onto the street. She gets onto the bus, carrying all of her books, soaking wet, and to add to it, the bus is completely packed and no one will slide over and make room for her. So when we receive her at the bus stop right around the corner from our house, she is barely a person at this point. She comes into the house, we follow her to her room, we ask her how her day went, and she just lays in the bed and cries. This mountaintop experience of when things are all in place, when you finally graduated, when you've experienced that achievement, when it's the job, it's the marriage, it's the kids, it's what you prayed for, it's what you hoped for, it exceeded all of your expectations, and then, Things get hard. Things begin to shift. Things begin to move on you. This is what you begin to see. This is what Jesus is beginning to highlight from us, that you can go from a mountaintop experience one day to the next day not wanting to get out of bed. And I think this experience for us is a lot more common than we like to admit. If you think about mountaintops, think about the one that Jesus just came from. Right? Who was with him? If you go back, Moses and Elijah, they each had their mountaintop experiences too. If you know the stories, Moses has a mountaintop experience on Mount Sinai with him and God, receives the Ten Commandments, receives this, this, kind, of, this, uh, this kind of code of love of God being Israel's God, of, of the people responding in kind and love back towards God in a certain way, a called out group of people. This covenant relationship is being established between God through Moses for the people of Israel. He receives the Ten Commandments, goes down the mountain, and what does he find? Everyone in Israel is worshiping a golden calf. He's... He sees them trading already the God who has freed them from Egypt through the plagues, through the Red Sea, to now they've built and constructed a golden calf and are bowing down and worshiping and dancing before it. Moses throws down the Ten Commandments, breaks them, takes the golden calf, burns it up, grinds it all into powder and makes everybody drink it. That's a valley experience. Elijah. What a mountaintop. Maybe one of the most significant showdowns we have within Scripture. Elijah facing off against all these false prophets of Baal. And he goes up on Mount Carmel. 
And Elijah says, hey, we're going to do something. We're each going to build an altar. We're each going to have a sacrifice. And we're going to see whose God consumes the altar with fire. Prophets of Baal, you go first. They take their bull. They build a sacrifice. And they begin to pray all day long that God, their God, would consume the sacrifice with fire. And I love, Elijah's kind of in the back. And it's maybe some of our first bit of kind of like trash talking that we got in the Bible. He's like, hey, what's going on over there? You know, is your God asleep? Is he in the bathroom? Like there's all kinds of stuff. All kind, it's in there. All kinds of stuff that he begins to say to them and kind of taunt them. Nothing happens all day long. Nothing from the prophets of Baal. They're cutting themselves. They're worshiping. They're crying out to the God. Nothing. Elijah says, my turn. He sets his sacrifice upon the altar. And he says, hey, before I pray, let's pour water on this. So they pour water on the sacrifice and on the wood. Let's pour more water. Let's pour more water, even more water. In fact, the whole altar is swimming in a moat of water. And then Elijah prays. Boom, fire drops down from heaven, consumes the altar and all of the water. Not only that, then Elijah prays. And as he prays, a rain cloud forms and a drought that has been going on for over three years ends mountaintop. He goes down the mountain, finds out that the king's wife, Jezebel, wants to kill him, and he is now on the run for his life valley. This is what we begin to see. Like These are the experiences that are kind of waiting on us, and there's a lot more to say about why valleys seem to follow mountaintops, but we can at least say they do. They do. It's, it's the last day of summer camp for students. And if you've ever gone to a summer camp experience, they're amazing. There's a lot of life change that happens. And what's not uncommon, it's, it's the kid who never wanted to come to summer camp, whose parents made him come. He was completely reluctant towards the whole experience, is on Thursday night of camp saying, I never want to go home. I just want to stay here. Like, can we just worship? Can we just be around this? Can we just do this forever? But as the decision to go home turns towards Friday, there's a sense of hope in him. That because of what we've experienced this week, life could really be different. My home could really be different. My relationship with my friends, temptations that I struggle with, like it could be easier. And there's this tension that every student leader operates in like I am excited for you and yet I I kind of want to just like can we just manage those expectations just a little bit you're going back to where so many things are hard these mountaintop experience they often have valleys that follow them I think that's what I think that's what Matthew is detailing for us you know the, the scribes are arguing with the people Right, there's, a, there's, a, there's certainly a father and a son in desperate need. But what Matthew seems to be bringing to the surface is this inability of the disciples, this confusion that they have with what they thought that they could do that they cannot do. The disciples had been with Jesus for a while. Right, this, is, this is not the first time they've seen a, an experience like this. Matthew chapter 10, right, a few chapters earlier in verse 1, Jesus said, and he called him his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And so they've been doing this very thing and doing it well. And now all of a sudden this man shows up 
with a son who's possessed, and they can't. They can't do it. Something they've been doing, now not so much. N.T. Wright says this. He says, people suppose that over the years, a person's journey with Jesus gets easier. That it is hard when it gets started, but after a while, things begin to line up. But our scripture passage indicates the opposite. When you learn to walk beside Jesus, you are given harder tasks that demand more spiritual courage and energy. Right, so you, you may be there. This is the idea. You may, have, you may have been walking with Jesus 10, 20, 30 years, and now you find yourself in a circumstance right now where you're like, I don't know what to do. Things that I have done before, they're just not working. Like, I, I'm at a place where doubt is starting to creep in. 10, 20, 30 years of walking with Jesus, and now you're realizing, I need something more. I need, I need more courage, more, more strength than I did before. And so I, I think the passage wonderfully gives every Christian in the room the permission to be stumped. To not have what you need. To not know enough. To be confused at times. To be unable at times. This is what it begins to offer us. I remember talking to a friend. He was about he's 15 years older than me. And he was talking about his life. And he was talking about his struggles. And he was talking about the things he was working on and the failures that he was walking through and the ways that he needed God to help him in certain struggles and issues that he was facing. And he's 15 years older than me. And I remember there was, you know how you get in that conversation and you're saying, uh-huh, you're listening. And there's part of your mind that's all doing something else. And the, the part of my mind that was doing something else, I was like, oh man, like he's still struggling with that. And he's 15 years old beyond me in his faith, in his time with Jesus. And I'm listening to him going, uh-huh, uh-huh, I hear what you're saying. And now I'm going like, am I going to be struggling like that in 15 years? Like my plan, my 15-year plan is not to be dealing with the same things I'm dealing with right now. Like, I, have a, I have a plan to be like well beyond these things, like experiencing incredible victory in 15 years. Like I may have other issues, but I'm not going to still be dealing with these issues in 15 years. And then I'm like, or am I? Am, am I, am I going to be unable to do some of these things? Am I still going to be struggling too? Like if, if I don't have it all together now, what, will I have it all together then? And this is, the, this is what's becoming out. The disciples have been with Jesus for some time now. They've been doing this work of casting out demons for a while and doing it well. And now they run into this situation and they are unable. They can't do it. So the disciples have this moment. They have this moment with Jesus privately to better understand the why. Verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And so here it is. Here's, here's the why. Here's the why. Because of your little faith, Jesus says. Now, I want to, I think this is important. I, I want us to understand what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. Because little could imply, right, that you need more. It's an easy application, right? It's like, I, I connect those dots for you. If Jesus says, I have little faith, then surely what that means is I need more faith. But that can get you in doctrinal trouble. 
So when we hear little faith, our first inclination is to say, well, I need more faith. And so what's happening here is the the Jesus followers are experiencing little things or nothing because of their little faith. And if they have more faith, they'll experience bigger and more things, right? That's the, that's the easy connection we, we see here. Big faith does big things. The disciples couldn't cast this demon out because of their little faith. But then Jesus says the most amazing thing. He says, if you would just have faith as small and as tiny as a grain of mustard seed, you would see mountains move. So Jesus doesn't say, if your faith is the size of mountains, you will see mountains move. He actually says, all you need is little faith. Jesus actually isn't calling them for more faith. Jesus is saying something different about the size of their faith, but he's saying something about the object of their faith, where they've placed their faith, how much faith they've placed in something or someone. Mark 9 says that the disciples could not drive out the demons because they did not pray. They didn't pray. So Jesus seems to be highlighting something in the disciples that they were walking out this ministry. They were trying to cast out this demon without praying. And if we aren't praying, then we aren't showing true faith. That real faith is a praying faith. Right? Matthew heard Jesus say both things. Matthew heard this comment about little faith. And Matthew heard this idea about you couldn't cast it out because you couldn't pray. And so perhaps mustard seed faith is simply praying faith. Faith is the inside of what prayer is on the outside, a real true relationship with God. Placed in the right area, Jesus is saying that simple faith, true faith prays, and prayer is how we express it. Prayer is how we show that it's real. Prayer is how faith takes a breath. The other nine disciples who were down the mountain, who weren't part of the transfiguration, they'd begun to trust in something else. They'd begun to trust in this invested authority that Jesus had given them. They'd begun to trust in their position as Jesus' disciples, that they had a role, that they had authority, that they had past achievements, but they aren't praying, Jesus says. They aren't coming to the Father, showing their need and dependency. And, and this highlights that, 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 that heaven doesn't access to us, doesn't open up to us because of our achievements or because of our, our holiness. Heaven opens up to us because of our helplessness because of our dependency, because of our need. This is what we begin to see. As we find ourselves in the valley, our way forward, as we, go, as we move into something that we're unable to deal with, is to pray that God confirm my dependency upon you, my need for you, to ask for help, to share our need. Jesus says it's mustard seeds and mountains. What is so small, right, and what is insurmountably big. Jesus is saying your faith doesn't have to be impressive or big. It, listen, it may never be. Your faith may never be impressive or big to see God do big things. Because it's not so much the faith in our own power or position or achievements. It's our faith in the power of God. That we're believing in him. Jesus is making it clear. And we see this in the statement that it's not the depth of our faith, but it's the direction of our faith. It's not the quantity of our faith, but it's the object of our faith. What are we placing our faith in? 
What are we believing in? Mustard seed faith. Mustard seed faith has come to terms with its own unbelief. Mustard seed faith is an agreement that I have something so small and I admit there is a gap between my faith and perfect faith. Mustard seed faith is conscious of its own belief because it's not Jesus who is iffy and thin, it's me. I'm the one. And it's these acts of trust. It's this depth of our surrender. That's what we bring. That's what we contribute to the whole process. It's surrender. It's a belief that we're not enough. It's that, Jesus, you're more reliable than my, self, than my own self-confidence. My, my self-confidence ebbs and flows depending on whatever I've done that day, my performance in the moment. But, Jesus, yours is better. Yours is more stable. Yours is more secure. If you come to God and seek blessing because you've been good or because you've been strong, you're really coming to God in faith in yourself. But when you come to God, right, because of who he is, without faith in you but faith in Jesus, then all of a sudden heaven, Jesus heaven opens up in that way. It's not coming to God because we have a good record. It's coming to God because Jesus does. And it's through him through his record, through his achievements, through what the good record that we have in Christ, it's when we say, I don't have what it takes, but Jesus, you do help me. Help me. Accept me not for what I am, but for who you are. All of it, right? The mountaintops and the valleys. Why does Jesus come off the mountaintop and go into the valley at all? Why, why would he do that? Why does Jesus descend the glorified mountain to walk through the valley? It's so that you and I can one day walk on the mountain with him. That Jesus descends. He comes into our valley, into our circumstances, into our difficulties, so that one day, believing in what he's done, we might be with him. It's, Jesus has done something so significant through the cross and the resurrection, so profound and so securing of our future that it changes our present. It changes how we think about our lives right now. It's, it changes how we function in this moment. Jesus leaves the light and glory of the mountaintop and enters darkness and helplessness so that we know darkness will not always last. That night will turn into day that there will be new mercies waiting on us tomorrow, that there's something more, that the light of the resurrection is coming to all who believe. So Jesus has come that we not lose heart. He's, he's in this valley, and I think he's praying this, Lord, I, want, I don't want this to last any longer than it needs to. How long must I be here? How long must we do this? But Jesus is there in the middle of the circumstance, in the middle of the valley, so that you don't have to trust in your own performance or achievement, your own past successes, but just him and his ability. Has that happened for you? Are you walking through a valley right now? Are there things that you're running into right now that you just feel like, I just feel unable? Feel like I don't really know my way through this, like I've run into something now, even after this many years, that it just seems hard and I'm confused and I'm not sure where to go. Those are the perfect prayers. 
those are the mustard seed kind of prayers where we come to God and say, God, help me. I believe, help me in my unbelief. I bring something small. I know it's not perfect, but I realize it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be placed upon you, on who you are and not my abilities, on what you've done, not my achievements. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for receiving us through a faith that doesn't have to be perfect. That you are not moved by our achievements or, or by how well we have it all together. But by faith in Christ and what he's done. And in that faith, we can confess, even in the midst of the valley, that through you, God, all things are possible that nothing is impossible for you, that you could do anything, including save us, including save us and give us a new life and forgive us of our sins and make our valleys temporary. Lord, thank you, if we can, thank you for those valley moments that reveal to us it's not about our own performance. It's not about our achievements, that our strength and our courage will never get us through this life, that this life is almost hardwired to bring us to places of great dependency. And so I pray that in these moments where we find ourselves, even moments right now, that we would take the valley experiences, those moments where we don't get out of bed and just trust you and ask for help. Be the object of our faith. Thank you that our faith doesn't have to be great in quantity, but just clear in direction. Let it be placed upon you, Jesus. For my brothers and sisters that are walking through things right now, even this morning, where they feel ill-equipped, heartbroken, confused, and unable, God, would you hear our prayers today? Would we turn towards you, Jesus, and have our own hearts helped? Lord, minister in this moment. Holy Spirit, have freedom here to comfort and to encourage and to help us see that Jesus is the one to place our faith in. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.